Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro. Folks may or may not remember that we had said when we were coming to the end of Breshit that we were going to do like the last Sukim of a book. We did it for that one. And then we made it to the end of Shmote, but we didn't do it for that one because it didn't seem like there was that much to talk about. But two out of three ain't bad. We're going to do it this week. However, um, upon further examination, these verses may or may not have been a little more complicated than we thought they were, uh, but we're going to do our best. And I am confident through our conversation together, we will find some good stuff. So uh, it is a double partial this week. Bahar Bahukotai. Um, 13 My ordination, oh, Parsha. Oh, uh, my half of my, or uh, including my bar mitzvah, Parsha. So, uh-huh. not yet Rabbi Matt Shapiro, uh, as a squeaky voice, 13 year old, chanted much of Bahar on Memorial Day, uh, weekend 1997. So, here we are. Uh, but Bahar Bahu we wrap up the book of Vaikra and we wind up th- this last chapter, um, has some has a number of pieces that like uh, are not even when you think about um what was happening in in the realm of priestly service and the sacrificial system are pieces that at least to me um are not particularly familiar and kind of eyebrow raising in their um in in their content so I'll just sort of offer that that broad frame as we move through the chapter in relatively short order. So the first chunk of the chapter, these first few verses are, are fascinatingly, like you see in verse two, that Moses is saying, right, God says to Moses saying, speak to the Israelite people. When anyone explicitly vows to the Lord, the equivalent for a human being. So basically a, a an offering to, to the priests, right. To, to those who are in charge of the sacrificial system to like, I'm going to give you the full value of myself. And then it goes through over these next few verses talking about basically how much person is worth, right? Like if you make that commitment, um, how much you give based on who you are, which is not a construct that I was all that familiar with. And obviously if we were to be delving into those verses offers a lot of opportunity for conversation about that concept in general and those categories and how, like what, what that even means deciding upon the worth of a person. Um, so there's, there's a, a lot there in terms of that concept. We are not going to be exploring those verses in too much depth today, but Rabbi Schatz, when we're doing this again next year, maybe those are the verses that we'll look at. How does that sound? Great. Great. Um, then get into more about, um, uh, if you're going to do that with an animal and here in verse 10, you're going to see an idea that comes back in the verses that we're going to be looking at more carefully, this idea of not substituting, right? That, that if there is an animal that, that is being brought, that the vow has been made on, you can't switch them out. It needs to be that specific animal. Um, and going through again, like whatever the vow is made on, that is the animal that needs to be dedicated Similarly, in terms of like if you are dedicating um, your your house, that there's a sense that 
that of how you would do that. So basically going through this system of not because you have done something for which you need atonement, but if you, as an Israelite back in the day, wanted to make some kind of contribution to the temple, to the priesthood class, um, and you wanted to offer yourself or your animal or your house in some kind of way, going through the details of how that would work. Um, there's a reference here in terms of the land in the Jubilee year, which we read much more about in my bar mitzvah parshat Bihar, um, but we're not going to get too much into that um, in this moment. And now we are sort of tiptoeing into the chunk of verses that we're going to be looking at today. So starting in verse 26, um, this idea that um, the firstborn of animals, what, what, whatever animal uh, belongs, belongs to God, um, in whatever, right, of whatever type, clean or unclean, um, and all that anyone owns, um, if, if something has been set aside, then it needs to be, um, it needs to be dedicated to God. I will, I will say, like, <laughs> very clearly, I don't fully understand how these pieces work, um, in terms of the tithing and the firstborn and what's prescribed and what's set aside. Like I said, these verses ended up being more complicated than I thought they would be. I have more to say about our verses specifically. Um, there was clearly a real system happening here in terms of what would be sort of swapped in and out and the percentages thereof and 20% here. Um, it, it is not stuff with which I am particularly familiar, though I'm sure Rabbi Schatz is, and I will take uh, her silence as agreement that she could be doing a much better job explaining these verses than I am. Thank you, Rabbi Schatz. Um, <laughs> And coming here towards the end, so we're going to be looking at verses 33, uh, 32, 33, 34. 32 and 33 bring this, this topic to a close, and 34 sort of provides an interesting coda to the Parsha and book, um, which, depending on how you read it, may or may not be directly connected with the verses that immediately precede it. So in verse 32, it says, all of the tithes, right? Because you're supposed to tithe 10% at baseline. All of the tithes of the herd or flock, these, these anyway, sheep, goats, um, anything that passes under the staff, so literally think about, like, I'm having my flock, because I'm a shepherd, I'm having my flock pass before me, and I'm counting to 10, which I'm able to do. And every time I say 10, that 10, that one is consecrated and, and set aside for the temple. Um, like, like just just each 10, 10% of that, that goes. Lo yivakir bein tov lara velo yemirenu. And I find this this concept is is something that caught my eye. You can't you can't pick and choose, right? You can't decide. Oh, this one's a good one. I'm gonna like I'm gonna count really quickly. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So I don't have to give like the one that that I I don't want to give. Nor and I saw some pieces on this, this giving the volume mm-hmm. away a little bit. Nor if I'm a particularly um, temple committed and oriented Jew, as I am known to be, shepherd that I am in ancient Israel, who is able to count to 10, nor can I make sure to like count differently so that a not so good one goes, but a particularly good one goes, right? Whatever the 10 is on, that's the one that goes, shouldn't substitute it out. 
ואם המר ימרנו והיה הוא ותמורתו יהיה קודש לא ייגאל. But if I were to, and it's always interesting when, don't do it, but if you do, if I were to do that, then both are dedicated, right? The one that I counted to 10 on and the one that I went out of my way to send, then actually both of those, right? I, I, I sort of forfeit both of those over to the temple and, and you, can't, you can't swap out one for the other. And those two are bound up and both are dedicated. So it's a little bit on, on ancient tithing, which I know everyone was hoping to little, learn a little bit about today. And then the last verse of the book, These are the mitzvahs. These are the commandments that God mitzvahed, that God commanded, spoke, dictated to Moses, to the people of Israel at Har Sinai. Chazak, chazak, chazak. We did it, Joe. We made it. Hooray for the book of Vayikra. Rabbi Schatz, over to you. Yes, Rabbi Shapiro. Yes, over to you. Thank you for okay. your thank you for your explanation on how tithing works. <laughs> you did a great job. Um, okay, any kushiot, any? I mean, <laughs> I feel like there are gazillions of questions to ask about this. One being, huh? Uh, but there, there's also a lot. <laughs> there's also a lot to ask very specifically. Um, when Rabbi Shapiro reminded me. Not so very long ago, uh, what our what our verses were for today, I looked at them and I thought, okay, uh, mm-hmm, yeah, all right. Well, I'll be asking questions and hopefully we got has- this. We got this. We're going to close out Vayikra strong. It's going to be great. Oh so, yeah, no, I that's what I meant. Okay, so does anybody have any kushiot? I can only see one at a time currently, but yes, caring. Go ahead. You took the words out of my mouth. Why? <clears throat> you know, I would say to Michael, hey, God's going to see what I just did. And he said, you think he's looking just at you? <clears throat> And that's what I feel here. Picky, 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 picky. Why? I don't get it. I just, what, what is all this? So <clears throat> are you talking about the ritual? Or are you talking about the, just like even... that the need to connect to God needs to come through this kind of. Yeah. Yeah. The 10th sheep, the, yeah, just. Uh, yeah. Why all the detail? Why the specifics? Why is this the way? Yeah, you got it. Right. Great. Great. Well, or as you said, huh? Yeah. <laughs> That's my big question. Elon. Yeah. I'm, uh, verse 33 completely confuses me. I'm not sure what it means because. On the one hand, he says he must not look out for good against bad or make substitution for it. But if he does make substitution for it, then it and his substitution shall both be holy. Well, like, I'm not quite sure. First of all, why shouldn't you make a substitution? If it's really that bad to make a substitution, making it holy, that's bad. That's like, that's like the punishment. What's the – like, I'm not – I, I, it makes no sense to me whatsoever. So if somebody could clarify what that means, I would be uh, greatly appreciative. I think, I don't know that I can, but I'm going to try. Um, but Rob Shapiro had a banana this morning, so his brain is probably working better than mine. So he can, he can let us know. Potassium. Um, the, <laughs> um, the, I think that what it's saying is that the, that they would both be holy, but the last part that it cannot be redeemed means that you wouldn't be able to sacrifice it. So I think that it's what it, what it, what it's trying to get at is that, um, 
the punishment wouldn't be that now neither are are quote acceptable the punishment is that you can't do anything with them even if they are acceptable at least that's how i understand it i have absolutely no idea if that's true but that's how i understand it i agree with you though that why would you why would you add that it that something could be made okay or even more than okay kadosh if you do the opposite of what what is being asked of you don't don't do this but if you do do it don't worry about it. Okay, yeah. thanks. Right, right. Which by, which, by the way, is is a hallmark of rabbinic literature, right? We have that all the time, right? We have the lehadchila and bedeavad constructs in rabbinic literature all the time, right? If you do this, right? If you're going to think about in advance how you should do this, here's how you should do it. But if this happens, like it, it you can you can still be like patur. You can still be exempt from what you would have had to do if you did it. On purpose, you just don't get the the highest right. level reward. Right, but but this is not suggesting an accidental. It's not like uh, right. you know, right. in, in rabbinic, right? It would be like, all right, right, if you screw up and do it, don't sweat it because it's not the worst thing in the world. This is this is right. If if you do make a substitution, you're not going to randomly make a substitution. You're going to consciously make a right. substitution. Right, right. It's just. And and when you said it cannot be redeemed, so in other words, what would that mean? I, I bring I bring a goat, uh, or they told me to bring a cow and said I bring a goat. Now it can't be redeemed. What is it? What does that mean that it can't be redeemed? I I think to clarify first the holiness piece. I don't think holiness here is like ooh ho- like holy. It's fit, like hooray. It's like you know something worthy of worship. I think holy here is like something that is now specifically in the category of something that belongs to the temple. the temple and the priests, right? It's not like an elevated thing. Like it has now attained holiness. It's rather a category of something that belongs elsewhere, right? That's, that's my sense of it in terms of that. It cannot be redeemed. I, I think, and, and we're all sort of, we're all working together on this. Uh, my sense of it cannot be redeemed is sort of like, Think about Pidyon Haben, right? Like, so I, uh, because I'm the firstborn, we're learning all sorts of things about Rabbi Machabra today. I, like, I was redeemed at Pidyon Haben. I should be working real hard in the temple these days. But for a host of reasons, I'm not, because my parents decided I was worth, you know, five silver shekels, which is still up for debate. But, <laughs> but because of that... Right. Like I, I was, I was redeemed. Right. I, I got, I got like swapped out for the silver coins. So I think here too, right. Like those, those two animals are now like locked in. Right. Like, you, and then like, if I tried to do the old switcheroonie with my bulls, but I got caught doing it, I can't then be like, well, can I buy one of them back? Both bulls, both Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen belong to the temple. Even if I wanted to swap Scotty for Michael, which is a terrible decision to have to make, but like if I if I tried doing that, right, then then I wouldn't be able to get either of them back. That's what I think. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Jay. Well, the interesting thing to me is this verse thirty four. These are the commandments that the Lord gave Moses for the Israelite people on Mount Sinai. When I read this, I thought that happened a long time before. Leviticus. And my question is, does this mean everything that's happened during Leviticus is something that's already happened? 
Or is this line just reminding us that we were given the commandments on Mount Sinai, but we didn't just get them from Mount Sinai right now? Great. It's a great a great question, and you are correct. So this is actually, this line has happened actually twice before um, and will happen again. <laughs> um, but but yeah, it, what what is the timeline here? What does that mean for the commandments that before were said to have been given to us on Mount Sinai? Are we just adding or are we just being, re- is it just being revealed to us more along the way? Is this trumping those, you know, what, what is it that we are, that we're learning from this line being added yet again at this point in our Torah? Great question. Nancy. So sorry to go back to 33 again, but (laughs) um, I hear you're saying that in rabbinic literature, right? It's common to hear. So if you did the wrong thing, here's what happened. I just think it's really interesting to hear it in the Torah that we would assume that people would do the wrong thing. And because they're being commanded by God. So I don't know, it's just something about that seems strange to me. Yeah, <laughs> I don't even want to respond to that other than yes, I agree. Um, and and it's interesting, I was just looking at it while you were asking your question. It's interesting that there's no response to if you look out for the good against the bad, right? Because it's saying here that you should not choose between the good and the bad, but then it does assume that people will make those substitutions. So does that mean that people won't choose between the good and the bad if they're told not to, or that there is just a higher punishment if you were to do that? So we're not going to mention it. Um, I always think of kids when you, when you say don't do this and then you tell them why, well, that's going to make them want to do it. So if you're saying to the people here, if you do make a substitution, then this is what's going to happen. Well, then why wouldn't you just make that substitution? Because you see that, as Ilana has pointed out to us, like, doesn't, doesn't seem to really matter. And maybe it's actually even good, <laughs> right? But not even bad. Um, yeah, it's a great, a great question. I, I, I do. I, mm. no, I was going to say, I do think it's interesting. I, I don't know if others can. I can't think of any off the top of my head, like where we're within the same verse in the Torah. It's like, this is what you should do. But if you don't do this instead, right. And it, it might, that, that's not to say there isn't, but, but I can't think of any. Um, it's, it's particularly interesting when we've already envisioned a less than ideal scenario and then the verse immediately afterwards, which is, which is being repeated. And of course we know there is no verse word letter in the Torah by accident, right? That, that it goes out of its way to then assess these are the commandments, right? I, I I didn't see, I I didn't find anything on that, right? I didn't, I didn't find anything specifically um, connecting the scenario described in 33 with why 34 then happens, but for me, thematically, I think it's interesting to see verse 33, like laying out a scenario, laying out what's going to happen if you don't do what you're supposed to do. Oh, by the way, remember, these are the commandments that you were given at Mount Sinai. Right. I, I think that that's that that's an interesting one. One, two, three lined up like that. Joanna, you're muted. There you go. Two things. Um, um in terms of this whole business of the substitution, I'm noticing that the verb yet is singular, right? And it says, 
So there's two things. The thing and its substitution will both be holy, which to me suggests that maybe it should take the plural verb. And um, so I'm feeling like sort of the verse is saying is they're going to be treated as one holy thing together, the two. So, you know, might as well just stick to the one. And <clears throat> I'm wondering also if this is therefore more of like a warning than describing what actually happened. So it's saying, you know, you're going to have your order and it's going to be every 10th one. And don't try to make a substitution because if you do, it will end up that both go to God and not just one. And about the last verse, um, you kind of want the book to end on a dramatic, powerful note. (coughs) Sorry, I should get some water. Um, If you were to ask me before looking at this, oh, how does the book of Leviticus end? Like totally fuzzy, no idea, right? Like this is sort of a letdown for the end of the book. So it's the very last verse reads to me almost as like, we've got to put like that final like coda on the whole book of Leviticus because otherwise there's kind of no ending to it. It's, it's a, it's a, you're saying it's sort of a, a fizzle of an ending. If you just sort of, ah, I can't be redeemed. Shabbat yeah. Shalom. The end. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. My, maybe it's just literary style, right? Like the, these are works of literature. Right, you you always wanna you always wanna close with with a bang, like a don alarm brings the house down, and kiddish, right, Rabbi Shatz? Yeah. Any other? <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad that you know that a don alarm goes at the end of Dominic. That was very good. Um, you know, it's been a while, man. Yeah. I, you know. Anybody have any other kujiot before I turn this over to the man who knows about a don alarm? Okay. Over to you, I don't alum man. You're muted, but this is fun. You almost said over to you, I don't alum, which would have been really quite. No, I was going to say I don't alumer, and then realized that was weird, so I said I don't alum man is what I was going to do. Yep. Um, I found (laughs) I found um, two different um, teachings from the Lubavitcher Rebbe on the verse that is that is sort of puzzling our brains a bit that take it in more of an um, allegorical direction in terms of this idea of substitution. So like I, like I said, when I was going through the verses, in addition to sort of per, per Jay's question being intrigued, confused, you know, mildly befuddled as to why like that last verse kind of gets repeated and repeated again. And what, if any connection it has with the verses that immediately precede it, um, I think this idea of substitution, and I, I guess I hadn't even thought too much before the conversation that we've been having over the past 10 minutes or so about the sort of interesting retroactive, like, ah, oh, but if you do um, all that much, but but the idea of substituting good for bad or bad for good, um, to me, connects with like the idea on some level of like, acceptance and letting go a bit, right? Like, like whatever you're supposed to, to bring, that's what you bring, right? Like whatever you count 10 on that, that that's what you offer. And, and there's a certain amount of, of letting go and acceptance there um, that, that I think is interesting that I think is kind of like right. Um, 
it's like right beneath the surface there in a way that that I don't often see in Shukim. Um, and the, these two teachings that I found from the Lubavitcher Rebbe on this verse, which was the only stuff I find that took it in a more allegorical direction, seem to be pointing in like, if not in completely opposite directions, um, it's at a very obtuse angle. Um, and so, so that's always interesting to find those particularly ones from the same teacher. So the first one was, and this, and this is the direction that I would have taken it in if I were to. What Can you we, share it? Uh, did all the visual learners in the house say ho? All right, here we go. Here we go. Okay. Tall, tall asked me if you were going to sing, so I'm glad that you made her day. I thought she, I thought she just wanted me to um to sing my bar mitzvah parsha is what I oh oh is that what she meant oh. yeah yeah I think so oh. um this one is shorter the next one is a bit longer but I'm happy to help out the visual learners in the virtual room Thank you. so this so this was the first one where he says every person was born to a mission in life that is distinctly uniquely and exclusively their own. No one, not even the greatest of souls, can take his or her place. No person who ever lived or whoever will live can fulfill that particular aspect of God's purpose in creation in his stead. Um, so when you think about this idea of, you know, Karen, like you were saying, like, why is God so picky, right? <laughs> like, like, who cares? Throw some animals at the guy, like, whatever. You, you know, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rebbe is reading in this that, that there really is a different purpose and role for each in the verse animal, but extrapolating that out for each person. And it's not on us to, to say that one person is, should be doing something that someone else is doing or that, that anyone even really can, right? This idea that um, everyone has their own, their own place and their own role and their own mission to fulfill. Um, it connects with um, a passage that I often cite, um, for, written by Rabbi Dean Steinsaltz, um, who talks about how each person has a place in the garden in the world, right? You think of the world as a garden and each person has their own chunk of it, right? This, their own sort of square of it to, to care for. And my, my part of the garden is, is mine and only mine, just like your part of the garden is yours and only yours. And you can't take care of my garden for me and I can't take care of yours, right? That, that I have a certain mission, right? Or a certain role to play in the world that that no one else can can like tag in or out for and that that's why this concept is is being being put forth um which i think is a a lovely concept and b i i don't think necessarily too much of a stretch in terms of what's being um what's being offered so curious to hear if that like if, if that if that helps anyone, doesn't help anyone with the verse, that's that's making us all uh, scratch our heads a little bit. I just think it's kind of a cop out. <laughs> like I think, I think it's an it's easy. What do you mean a cop out? It's a drive. What do you, what do you mean it's a cop out? No, I just mean like it's really it's very easy to say. <laughs> well, you can't boo me. No, I'm thinking, you're boo- you're booing the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Yeah, I am. How but dare he's not you? Here. Um. It's okay. I give the Lubavitcher Rebbe like more airtime than he would expect me to give him. So it's okay. Um, I, I just think that it's interesting that, um, that, that in thinking about not switching them out, that we are now comparing that to, to how people are unique in the world. Like we're not talking about saying 
you're going to take this person and that person and, and, and equate them and give them the same kind of opportunities. We're talking about animals. So as much as I love animals and I care for animals and I think that they deserve rights as well, I don't think they're like humans. Um, and, and there is, you know, there, there is quality when it comes to an animal, especially back in those times where you were using your animal for everything. And so, I don't know. I think this is just a stretch. Maybe we're not. Gonna have, we're going to have, we're going to have protesters from PETA outside Temple Bethlehem all week next week, Rabbi Shots, where they're just going to be like walking around like Rabbi Shots doesn't think. Animal. Yeah. That's what I just said. But I, 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 I just think that maybe it's just a stretch. Maybe it's not a cop out. Maybe it's just a stretch to compare this scene to the comparison of human life, personally. Yeah, I get that. I mean, I like it though. I like the message. It's, it's just, obviously an allegory, right? It's obviously an allegory. I think, I think feeding it, feeding it back in through the through the lens of like the theme that I was seeing in it, though. It's like if if you see it at, and the, and I and I I like it. It's part of why I brought it. And I do think, I I, I think it might be like shimmying the dresser through the door that's only just wide enough for it to fit, but I think it still fits through the doorway, right? Like, like I think the, the concept, like through the, through the prism of like acceptance and just sort of being okay with what is for me, that also connects with this idea of like, I am I, you are you, we each have a part to play. Like I need to let go of like trying to live your life for you because I'm me and vice versa, hopefully. Right. And this idea that like things transpire in such a way that are in my control. I wanted to keep that bowl. That bowl is not for me. Right. It turns out that the purpose of that bowl is actually to be sacrificed at the temple. Right. That's what that animal is for. Bull number 11. That's going to be my go-to. What are bulls for? Uh, for the matadors. I don't know. What do, what do bulls do? Whatever it is bulls do. That's the bull for me, but, but not bull number 10 and that's okay. Right. So I, I, I think if particularly for what you're saying in terms of how animals held such a vital function in agrarian society, every animal really did have a purpose, whether it was dinner or plowing or whatever it is, you know, like, like really did have a purpose. So I think, I think you can feed it in that way. Joanna's laughing at how I don't know what a bull does, but. It just like carried stuff, you know. Carrie, that's correct, Joanna. Can you can you testify to the veracity? And then you killed it, and then you ate it. I mean, it's like what every other animal, you know. Rabbi Shots, we don't eat every animal. I don't know if you know. Yeah, a whole list of them in the Torah that we're not allowed. That was a few partial to go. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm curious what Elon thinks because I think that it most directly speaks to his conundrum. We also have something that basically totally not totally contradicts it, but goes very much in the other direction. Or in a different direction from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, so maybe maybe you'll like Lubavitcher Rebbe to electric rabbi Lou, but we can stick with this one for a moment. I will just say, I the Lubavitcher Rebbe was in my ordination speech. I don't not like the Lubavitcher Rebbe, but like you know, I just didn't think this was particularly great. I actually usually like the Lubavitcher Rebbe. I'm just confused, so it doesn't it doesn't clarify it for me. It's just, it, it it. Why can't we just say? It's confusing, and leave it at that. Because there's nothing in the Torah by accident, Elon. <laughs> Haven't you learned that by now? Nothing is in there by accident. Elon doesn't believe me. Look at that. Well, uh, even if one believes, 
that it's divinely inspired? Is it not possible that that God, uh, whoever God might be or whatever God might be, just said, you know what, I'm going to screw with these people a little bit and put this in and kind of <laughs> let them try to figure it out, but there is no answer. And, and see see what kind of fakakta answers they are able to come up with you know. That's a real. That's a real thing. I, I don't remember if I brought it. I'm looking to see if I brought it. Um, I didn't. What, one of the commentaries that I came across. Oh no, I did. I did. I did. I did. I did. Um, okay, hold on. Let me share. I found you. a it, traditional it, commentary that said God is just messing with us. Uh, sort of. It's the, this like secret part. I uh, hold on. Let me show you. Let me show you. Um, which, by the way, Elon, if that is the case, would be giving it a reason, right? It circles back around in on itself. Because if there is if there's really no reason for it, then it wouldn't have been put there to just mess with us. Okay. This is for the the, net, the last verse, but it, it explains why that verse is there based on the, the things that come before it. So That's it's not what this is. I saw this. That's not what this is. Come on. Okay. Fine. You, go. <laughs> you go. Go. You go. Go. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Ibn Ezra says, I've explained this earlier in this Torah portion. The person who has the intelligence to understand the secret of the world will understand the secret of the firstborn and the tenth. Abraham gave a tithe. Our father Jacob will. If the one who has not, who has no second will help me, then I will reveal part of the secret when I mention the second tithe. That's Ibn Ezra speaking, by the way, not, uh, not God. The book of Leviticus is completed. Like, Thank you very much. We're going to move on. I think, I think, Rabbi Matthew Isaiah Shapiro, I think, (laughs) I think that this is saying what Elon was getting at, which is if you understand what's going on, like more power to you, you are closer to this than I am. And Ibn Ezra is also saying like, this guy did it, and this guy did it, and I don't get it, and we're going to move on to numbers, right? Like, I I think that that's what's happening here. I think that Ibn Ezra is pointing out that this secret, this sod that he's talking about here, it's not actually a secret, secret because we've heard about it, but it is hard to understand and something that you only would understand if you were kind of on the in, I think. I think, but you don't think that I'm right. Anyway. I, I see what you're saying. I I agree that he's naming how it is confusing, which just for those keeping score at home, it is. Um, <laughs> I also think there was, you know, a, a type of writing in rabbinic literature, particularly you see most common in Rambam where like, he he winds stuff around when he's almost like trying not to explain it to you because he doesn't think I bet even Ezra has a better explanation than he's than he's letting on here. Right? Like I bet if you were to actually sit down with him and say, like, what is this? I think he would have a real I think he would have a real answer. I think he's he's sort of cloaking it a bit because he doesn't think it's But even if but even if he and then I'll call on Elon, but even if he has the right he even if he has more of an answer, the fact that he knows that I'm gonna be reading it in twenty twenty one and well, not me, probably that you know what twenty twenty one that some guy would be reading it in twenty twenty one and not understand it, I think that's what he's getting at, which is you might not understand 
understand this. I'm getting very worked up about this. You might not understand this when you are as far away from it as you are going to be when you read it. And that's okay. And I think that's what he's saying is like, this is something you should listen to, but, but it's okay if you don't really understand it. Elon. So I'd be curious, and this would help me with the interpretation of Ibn Ezra, if his commentary at the end of every book says, and this is the end. Yes. Because, oh, it does. Because I was going to suggest, because the way that reads is, listen, this is like completely <laughs> strong. This is the end. This is, the yeah. end. This is if, where if I get you, off. If you understand this, please share your drugs with me, and let's move on, right? Yeah. This is the end of it, like next. But if that's, if that's the way, in fact, ends every... I believe so. I can quickly check, but I believe I believe so. Yeah, I also... I, I think I have it over there. I can look. But yeah, I yeah, I think so. Yeah, Karen. Every <clears throat> every kid is taught in school. The paragraph starts with your main sentence and ends with and therefore that's it's like tying those two sentences together. Just saying. Yeah. Grammatically yeah. and syntactually, God knew what he was doing. Yeah. Not that I understand what he did. That's how it works. I, I will I will also say I think he's naming something that goes a little beyond the scope of the specific verses that we're looking at, which 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 doesn't help either way. But just to give a little bit of context, which is to say that if you if you scroll up earlier, it says that you're supposed to give the first one. Right. Remember the five silver coins, right, whatever it was. And now it's saying you should give the tenth one, but you're supposed to give 10 percent. So how can you get right? Right. Ten times two is 20 not 10 so you're supposed to give 10 percent, but you're giving 20 percent. i think he's i think he's i mean i clicked on a little chip cheek there it, it seems like he's referring to that specific conundrum which is also confusing right like it, it it's not resolved like how can you be giving 10 percent and 20 percent at the same time Reva shots knows but she's not willing to tell us and she's just, no, she's just playing it off no, I was looking for the Ibn Ezra thing. Ibn Ezra doesn't have a commentary at the end of Shmote, so I don't know if he does at the end of Reishi, but I was just looking to see. Um, like the the note says, if you start from the top, then one is the first number. If you start from below, then bear, there behold, 10 is the first number. This is the secret of right. the firstborn and Because the I think the way that I understood cool. it was that the way that I understood it was that like you have a you have a rod and like the sheep are going or in your case the bull is going underneath cycle. right and it's like number one number two but number one was also the tenth of the one before does that make sense yeah I now I got distracted looking at Ibn Ezra he doesn't end his he has a comment on the last verse of Bamidbar but he doesn't but he doesn't say this is the end of the book of Bamidbar Right I think it's unique to Leviticus cuz he doesn't even have a commentary at the end of Shmot because okay, why, would anyway. he, why would he say this is the end of course it's the end but he, he's trying to I think he's saying listen guys I, 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 don't, I don't even want to try to explain it. This is the end. Let's go on, right? It, 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 there's no reason to say this is the end yeah. when it is obviously the end, right? Right. Unless right. he's like, okay, I've had enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, can I, are you, Shapiro, are you hoping to bring something else or should I, can I bring us something? Um, I was going to bring the the other Lubavitcher Rebbe. Yeah, yeah. Bring the other. Bring the bring the Lubavitcher Rebbe too, and then I'll bring the other thing. Okay, you got it. Um, it's a longer piece, but but I think the idea can be 
can be offered up relatively straightforwardly. So this goes in the other direction, right? Like he was, he said in the last thing, he's saying every person has their own place, role, unique um, job to do in this world. But here he gets into the idea of how the the like two sort of get bound up together and he he refracts it through an interesting construct so he says mystically so rabbi shot it's it's mystical so you're you're very excited to hear that i know he says mystically substituting one animal for another refers to the worthy endeavor of changing the mundane into holiness it's a really nice idea i think with regard to one's fellow human being so again, right, analogizing, but still, this means bringing someone who is estranged from his soul back into it, revealing to him his connection to God. So this idea of if you're going to swap an animal in and out, it's this idea of how something that wouldn't be brought can be made kadosh. And so now he's applying it to the construct of one person relating to another and basically bring, bringing him back. And he says two things. The person affecting the substitution must actually perform two substitutions in this process. So it's a, it's a double move. Number one, he, the person affecting that, must first enter the realm of the person he's seeking to help, descending from his loftier preoccupations and substitute his spiritual ivory tower for the mundane world. Two, he can then elevate the other person, replacing, in quotes, his estrangement from God with holiness, right? So there's, there's the holy one and there's the not holy one, right? Just like in our verse, the holy one sort of gets bundled back up with the other one, and then together they can they can then get joined so that they're they're both kadosh. If we find ourselves reluctant to leave the safe environs of holiness, which we all obviously live in, and enter the mundane world in order to elevate those in it, and there's some like very chabadniki construct happening here, right? To elevate those in it. The Torah reassures us by telling us this, that both it and its replacement will be holy. Both we and that which we replace elevate to holiness and will be holy. We will not be denigrated by our descent into worldliness and whatever and whomever we elevate will remain within the realm. So very different way of sort of, you know, finding a message in that verse, um, right? The one sort of the role of the individual and there's a very relational um, way of thinking about it, of how it's sort of like two parties get bundled together um, and move towards holiness. So I thought that, I think this is an interesting idea. Um, I think there's some lovely pieces to it. And I think it's also interesting that that one rabbi can teach two different teachings on the same verse with very, very different, like, thematic anchors. Okay. Well, it's... Um, oh, um... It, it reminds me of what Rabbi Ingber said on Shabbat about um, Psalm 148, that um, that it's not just about that which is the Shemaim, but also how you bring the Shemaim down to Haaretz. Um, and that those things that we might think are holy can actually affect that which we think is mundane and vice versa. Um and, know, that, and, and that it's and that it's dynamic, right? That it's not absolute. Right, exactly, exactly. I would have to think about it more, but I like this one more. I think Rashbir just froze, but he agrees with me because obviously. Um, <clears throat> okay, so it's funny because we're both using the same internet. We're both at Temple Betham, so if his internet froze, you might be stuck with none of us. Um, 
Okay, I am going to share another piece. Um, unless anybody else wants to say something about the Lubavitcher piece. Anybody want to? No? Okay. Um, yeah, Joanna, go ahead. Um, your comparison to Psalm 148 and Rabbi Ingber's comments are interesting because as he was talking about that, I had my seat door open and was rereading the psalm. And so the first half of the psalm, which talks about Min Shemaim, is um, like all lofty and beautiful. But in the second half of the psalm, there are, you know, there's also fire and snow and winds and storms along with the beautiful things. Mm-hmm. So now it's interesting to think of that in light of like this commentary and a little bit about like, you can't live it all in the ivory tower. Like you've got to bring holiness to earth and it's going to be a little bit messy sometimes, mm-hmm. but that's life. And, and also that to go back to the kind of the ambiguity of the verse itself, just this idea that I'm just going to pull it up so I can see it that, um, that uchmorato uh, kodesh, right? That that it's not just that it's going to be one thing is either made profane, really, not even mundane, um, and the other thing is made holy because of the substitution. But the holiness kind of seeps one into the other, making both hopefully just as holy, not taking away any holiness from the other, um, but allowing them both to be holy. It's interesting. I. I tend to agree with Elon that I don't like why why mention that unless you think that it's okay to do it even after saying don't do it. Um, but I like the idea in general that the Lubavitcher Rebbe is bringing out. Um, Rajpur, now that you're back, do you want to say anything else on it? I'm sure I missed really good stuff when I briefly got booted out. Um, no, I was just going to say. I mean, I don't know what. Let me give you a lead in. What are you going to be talking about? And I'll, I'll do whatever I'm going to say as a lead into what you're going to say. Um, I, I'm going to bring in a Chizkuni piece about, um, about choosing. Does that help? Probably not. I'll just say that I'll do my best. Um, no, like the, you just mentioned in passing, like the construct of like the ideal and real again. And, and in terms of, I think that's also an interesting piece in terms of the second Lubavitcher Rebbe piece, you know, that ideally we're all in a state of holiness and we are often not. And again, that is a dynamic process rather than just one or the other. Yeah. And also interesting thematically that reflecting that back in the verse, there are, there are two things here, right? The way that you should do things and the way that sometimes people actually do things. So I think there's a mm-hmm. lot of thematic parallels there in terms of um, that gap and, and how you respond to that and how you might, might go about closing it. Are you bringing Chiz Kuni so you can conclude with Chazak, Chazak, Vinit Chazak? Because that would be awesome. Yeah. Great. Okay. Bring it uh, home, Rabbi Shots. I had not thought of that, but sure. Okay. So one of the things that I was really struck by in these verses is all of, all of the kind of randomness um, right, the fact that the tenth one, um, the tenth animal, I'm not, I'm not convinced it was a bull, but the tenth animal um, would go underneath this this staff, and that all of a sudden that was just what they were dealing with. 
it just kind of moves away from anything I understand about the Torah and how specific the Torah typically is in terms of like cutting off this limb and then you you burn this part and then you eat that part and then these ashes become for that. And it's usually very specific. And that seems to be quite random. And so is the next verse, right? That you you cannot look for the good versus the bad. And I was really struck with that because as I think I've mentioned here before, I am, I'm very interested when it comes to like choosing a path of Judaism that I'm most interested in. Um, I love studying halacha and one of the pieces of halachic Judaism that specifically relates to Shabbat is when you are eating on Shabbat or doing really anything, but it mostly comes up with food. There's something called borer, and you're not supposed to choose out from your plate that which is good versus that which is bad. So the prime example is if you're eating peas and carrots, if you only like carrots on Shabbat, you can't move the peas away because you can't separate the good from the bad. You can eat around it, but you can't separate them. Rabbi Shapiro is loving this because he does not care one iota about this. It's just hilarious to me that, like, you'll come at verses from the Torah with, like, what is this doing here? And you're like, ooh, peas and carrots. (laughs) I didn't, okay, yes, I didn't specifically think about peas and carrots. I'm using that as an example. (laughs) But but thank you, yes. Um, So I I was very... I was really, I was really taken with that as something that came, that came across. This is really not helpful that you just brought that up because now it's all I can think of. Um, so I brought this Chizkuni piece um, that I think has to do with choice in general um, and, and why choice might be important, but also why, why randomness might be just as uh, uh, exceptional in this particular case. So Kodesh. So this is from the first verse here where it says, that after going underneath the the rod, the tenth, once you count one, two, three, you know, the tenth will be uh, declared holy. If someone while counting erroneously called the ninth the tenth, right? So if you were just counting and you're counting so many animals that by accident you say 10 after 8 as opposed to 9, or you called the 11th the 10th because you said 1 twice or whatever, the person is taken by their word, and that animal also becomes holy, and the animal is offered as a peace offering. And this isn't, like, so novel, I mean, especially given the whole conversation that we had about, you know, you're not supposed to do this, but even if you do it, it still becomes holy, and I think it is really interesting that it's much more about the human than it is about the animal. Because if you count incorrectly, that's not the issue, right? The issue, uh, issue is not the right word. The, um, the, the, the reason for all of this is the sacrifice of the animal. So if you are doing that action, Right? So it's just like giving grades to students. If you've done the project and you did your best work, then why would I, the teacher, not give you an A plus, even if someone else's best work was clearly, quote, better 
but they had more ability than you did in doing that best work. So here, what this makes me think of is if a person is already going through the process of making sure that they are being careful to count every 10th animal and set it aside for an offering, that's what makes it holy. It's that it's the interaction with the ritual, with the experience. It's not the animal, the animal self. That that to me makes this much more, I don't know. I, I don't I don't feel the need to push this kind of information aside as quickly and just say, oh, well, Leviticus is weird, so we're just gonna move on. But it but it it seems to really remind us that, you know, it's like Rabbi Dorf's prayer analogy, right? You you need to show up to the prayer experience to feel like you're going to have opportunities to make your prayer experiences uh, special. You can't just assume that by praying harder, your prayer experiences are going to be special. So that that's what came to mind for me. It's a little bit more drashy than it is shot, but um, yeah. And Rabbi Shemir wants me to say chazak, chazak, benit, chazak. So I am saying that. Do you have any last words, Rabbi Shemir? Chazak, chazak, benit, chazak. Always great to have a little singing by Rabbi Matt Shapiro to lead us into Shabbat. Um, yeah, so I, I guess, okay, I will. If you're not going to end, I will. Um, it did end. I guess, that was the end. What, what, I guess what? I will. I guess I will just. Thus ends Leviticus. I, I guess exactly. I guess I'll just say that I hope that, um, especially with this week upon us as the first week that we're bringing people back into our sanctuary, that that we recognize that just being back in spaces um, or just trying something for whether it's the hundredth time or the first time, that that it might not be exactly what you expect, but but just having that moment, having that experience, that's what's going to make it holy. Um, and so being able to just be in those moments and recognize that it might be the next time you count to ten, uh, that that it that you get it right and that it is exactly the right one, but according to the Torah and to God, I would hope that it's not about it being accurate, but about showing up. Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Shabbat Shalom. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.